welcome to Doing Good. I'm Rob Alvarez. And this is Kathy Wynn. Each week we aim to bring you amazing stories from everyday people who are taking on life's challenges, both big and small, and along the way, doing good for others. We hope you enjoy these intimate conversations, and thank you so much for listening. In this episode, we talk with Diane Kukich about her journey through a 30-year streak of daily exercise. Diane is a retired science writer for the University of Delaware, who is now a certified senior fitness trainer and a running coach. She continues to be a competitive runner in the local racing community and currently holds the Delaware state record for a five-mile road race in her age group. Please enjoy our candid conversation with Diane, talking not only about running and exercise, but also the effects of social media and peer pressure. Hi, Diane. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, So glad to have you here. So many things to get into. And just really, since we've gotten to know you, thought, you know, our our listeners would really benefit from kind of hearing your story. But you've already shared, you know, so much through We Run With You, your articles. And I think a lot of our, our readers have really gotten value out of, it. especially your latest one, you titled It's Enough. Um, it was our most viewed article to date. So can you tell us what compelled you to write this piece? Well, I think um, social, I like social media as much as the next person. I look at Instagram every day. I look at Facebook. I follow all kinds of running groups, running clubs, triathlon groups. And I think those things are good because you can get ideas for workouts. You can sort of feel like you're part of a community of, of other people who are interested in what you're interested in. But there's a real danger in it, too, because it sets up that expectation that you should be doing what everybody else is doing. Um, Maybe kind of the way some people do it socially. They look at other people's trips or they look at other people's wardrobes or they look at other people's babies. And all of a sudden you can start to feel like your life isn't adequate anymore. And because I work out every day, I tend to do much shorter workouts than a lot of other people. I typically will swim a mile or do a 10 mile or so. That's not uh, short, by the way. (laughs) Well, it isn't, but it is when you look at people who are training for an Ironman. And my three-mile runs look like a warm-up for people who are training for marathons or let alone ultras. And my bike rides of 10 to 15 miles are nothing when you talk to people who are doing century rides. And I found myself starting to feel inadequate and to use words like only, like, oh, Uh that person ran 18 miles today and I only ran three. And you can really start to feel like you're, you're inadequate. And I wrote that piece to make people, or to hopefully get people to see that whatever they're doing is enough for them if it's working for them. If it's not working for them and they need motivation to do more, that's fine. But if what they're doing is working for their health and their well-being, they shouldn't feel diminished by what someone else is doing and posting on, on social media. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I, I think it's really just just natural for us to compare ourselves to a, what we call our tribe. And, you know, maybe in the past pre-social media, you have your friends, local friends or or folks in town that you that you may compare yourselves to. Now, with social media, so many more people you can compare yourself to. So I can definitely yeah. see that. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. All of a sudden, you're comparing yourself to literally millions of other people, depending on how many groups you follow and people you interact with. And people who post a lot can kind of start to bombard you with what they're doing. And it's it's up to you to decide what to look at, but it's still out there and can can pull you in to, again, comparing. Um, I I think the other thing is that um, I've noticed in some of the groups that I follow, one of the issues that people face is um, they'll post, I follow one group called Fat to Finish Line, and it's actually a group of people that got together. They were all um, people who had lost 100 pounds or more, and they did a Ragnar uh-huh. relay. I don't know if you're familiar with that story. They filmed a, there's yeah. a movie. Oh, I think yes. it's yes. on. I, I saw it. it was, yeah, it's a documentary. Yeah. I think it's on Netflix or Amazon. I'm not sure. And they have a Facebook group that I like to follow because I like to see um, their transformations. A lot of them talk about how much weight they've lost or how much they've improved, and they're gearing up to run their first 5K or their first marathon. But one of the other things I've noticed is that they'll post sometimes – wow, I had no trouble working out, you know, for the last six months because I was training for my marathon and it was amazing and I was so excited and now it's over and I'm like, I can't even get motivated to run anymore. But I've never faced that because I'm never training for a thing or an event. I'm always just training for the next day of being healthy and being alive. So I've never run into that feeling of, oh, my God, I don't want to get up and run tomorrow. My marathon's over. I don't have anything to worry about or to train for. It's just another day in my life of, of working out and being active. So let's dig into it a little bit. So what does running or exercise really mean to you? Well, at its most basic level, it means I'm not a nasty person all day because <laughs> I'm pretty compulsive about it. And I've always done it early in the morning, partly because I, I have two kids that are now 30 and 33. And when they were little and growing up, the easiest way to guarantee that I could get a workout in was to get up at the crack of dawn and and get it done. And I found that that, you know, situated me both logistically and emotionally for the day. Once it was over, the workout was done, I could feel good about whatever I needed to to face in terms of dealing with kids, dealing with work. So there's there's that. It makes me feel calmer and happier. Mm. But it also just makes me feel good physically about what I'm doing. I know you recently surpassed 30 straight, is it 30 straight years of um, doing workouts every single day? No fail, (laughs) either running, biking or swimming or some sort, some sort of strength exercise or um, just getting out there doing something. And we'll get dig into that a little bit more, but I kind of wanted to take it kind of way back. What were you like as a kid? Were you always very active? Uh, yes. Um, keep in mind that my age will tell you that I grew up pre-Title IX. Um, there were no baseball teams for girls. There were very few uh, sports teams in school. There were no travel soccer teams like my daughter participated in. There weren't girls cross-country teams like your daughter is on. But I grew up out in the country, and every day we rode bikes. Um, I rode horses. We swam in in our neighbor's pool. I was always really, really busy physically. Um, And that kind of set the stage for when I got to college I still didn't participate in any formal sports, but I started swimming laps at the University of Delaware pool at night, um, just, again, to, to be active, um, also to fight off some of the increased eating that you do when you get to college. So I started thinking about, you know, managing my weight a little bit, and 
that just kind of segued into, um, I, I at one point I was swimming laps three or four times a day, and what I found was that on the days that I wasn't scheduled to do it, I would start to feel like, oh, well, I didn't do it yesterday, so why am I bothering to do it today? And all of a sudden, it just became easier to just do it every day and not fight with myself. Kind of mm -hmm. the way you brush your teeth or you take a shower every day. You don't get up in the morning and say, well, I took a shower yesterday, so I'm not going to take one today. And it literally became that simple. And I just started to do something every day. So actually, my, my streak, which goes back 30 years, it really goes back farther than that, but I had two kids. And with the first one, I took off a week after he was born. He was born in 1986. The second one, my daughter was born in 1989, and I took off three days. On the fourth day, I put her in a front pack, and we did a three-mile speed walk. So it's just kind of evolved over my life that I do something every day. And when you asked me the question you pointed out that I swim or bike or run for a while I was a race walker a competitive race walker oh, wow. and I think it's that variety of exercise that has enabled me to keep going as long as I have you know I've been in a boot because I've had foot injuries okay take off the boot and get in the pool for two weeks normally I wouldn't swim every day but if that's all I can do that's what I'll do um, so if an, an injury in one sport usually allows me to keep participating in another one. Now, I know our listeners are probably going to ask this or think this, but what do you do when you get sick? Honestly, I rarely get sick, and I don't know whether this is a cause or an effect, whether the fact that I'm pretty healthy has kept me from being sick. I've had a few colds. I've had bronchitis. I even had walking pneumonia for a while, short period of time, seven or eight years ago. I've always been able to do at least a three-mile speed walk. And by, by walk, I don't mean just, you know, strolling <laughs> up to the corner. And um, a couple times when I've had a bad cold that prevented me from swimming, you can almost always get on an exercise bike, even if you're feeling a little bit under the weather. So I've never been sick enough to not be able to do something. I've been injured uh -huh. to rule out one of my activities or two of them, but I've never been sick enough to say, I just can't do anything today. And it's usually made me feel better. So obviously the streak started 30 years ago. Was this something you consciously got into or you just, how did it get started, I guess? Well, it actually, yeah. it, only, it only stopped because of the birth of my daughter. It really goes back further than that oh, because wow. okay. I was doing it every day up until I had my son 33 years ago. And then I had to take off six days after he okay. was born. Birth so of when, a kid does did did stop me. So I guess when did it start, or Probably when did you when start? Probably when I was in my twenties. Okay. Oh. And again, it was that thing of I didn't want to argue with myself. Oh, okay, you're going to swim three days a week. Which three days is it going to be? Well, I don't feel like doing it today. I still have I still have a couple of days this week I could fit it in. One day I just woke up and said, "That's ridiculous. Just do it. Just do it every day. It's easy." Ah. And so I was in my probably late twenties when that started. And the only thing that I took off for was the birth of the two kids. Uh, so back then, were you just do, doing exercise to kind of keep fit? Or mm -hmm. was there um, a specific sort of goal you're trying to get out of, you know, either running or swimming? It was actually mostly just to keep fit. And then there were a couple of, I guess, kind of transition periods. Um, I started to compete as a race walker in the late 1990s, I guess, and I was pretty successful at it, but 
there wasn't a lot of local competition. In order to compete as a race walker, you really need to go to some national judged competitions because there's very strict rules oh, about yeah, race walking. Yeah. And a friend of mine at work who was a runner said to me, if you can race walk a 5K in 31 minutes, why are you not running? <laughs> and so it's there true. was this little tiny race in Wilmington um, called the Arthur Turner, and it was held at a little tiny community center in a bad section of Wilmington, and they were raising money for their community center. And on a whim, I signed up for it, and I think 58 or 60 people came out, and I ended up being the overall female winner with a time wow. of 23 minutes and change. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and, and I was hooked on running at that point. And then I kind of ran my way through um, the end of a bad marriage and a divorce. And having that ability to compete became more important to me. At that, at that point, it wasn't just wanting to work out every day. It was really needing that community of runners and that competition that kind of took me out of my, my personal problems. Uh -huh. And I also found um, a lot of friendship. At the time, I belonged to Delaware Swim and Fitness, which was the old Pike Creek Fitness and a lot of my swimming and gym friends there were very supportive through the divorce. So I found that to be kind of a, of a, a side benefit of, of working out was that I found a community of people that are really supportive when you have a problem. How have you dealt with the injuries and how have you put them into perspective with your, your streak and kind of um, your love for running and exercise? Well, first, let me say that I've been fortunate not to have any serious injuries. And I mean, I think about what Kathy has been through, and I don't have anything even remotely comparable to that. So I've been a very lucky person. But everybody does face adversity and setbacks and injuries. And I think the simplest answer to that is you just have to be where you are at that moment. You have to get past thinking about where you were yesterday or 10 years ago. And that's even true with aging. You know, I can't let myself think about how fast I could run a 5K when I first started to run. My very fastest 5K ever was a 2037. Wow. Um, when I was in, <laughs> I was 52 maybe. Wow. wow. Um, I'm not even there. <laughs> <laughs> and if I let myself think about that now when I'm running a 25-minute 5K, it's easy to get depressed. Or, and, of course, a lot of people would say, well, a 25-minute 5K is still really good. But it's, a, it's yeah. all relative. It's all relative to what you expect from yourself and what you've achieved before. But you really have to try to keep yourself where you are now. And when you have an injury, you kind of just have to think about, okay, what can I do now that will keep me going? And how can I best take care of myself so that I can try to get back to the best possible place I can be with all of this? And it might not ever be where you were yesterday or last year or 10 years ago. But the mo most important thing to me is to just keep going. Do I want to be able to still compete? Yes. I was thrilled yesterday to do so well at a five-miler. But 10 years from now, I also want to be able to say, I'm still running, or I'm still swimming, or I can still bike. And if that means I have to back off on how many miles a week I run in order to be competitive at the next 5K, I will do that. Because it's more important to me to do this for life than it is to do it for tomorrow's race. Have you ever found yourself like stuck if you for lack of a better word? Um, not overall stuck. And I think I, I probably am a pretty upbeat, optimistic person. But um, not too long ago, when I was facing yet another foot injury, I actually emailed my foot doctor, who I absolutely adore, and said, look, this is what's going on. I'm starting to think that I really need to just give this up. 
And he emailed, emailed me right back and said, call my office, get in here. We are not giving up on you, which I thought was amazing. And he checked me out. He f figured out what he thought was wrong. He adjusted my off-the-shelf orthotics, and I was back in business again. I also think, so th there's that. There's, there are other people who can kind of encourage you when you are at that point. Because I really was, I even said to my husband, I said, I think my running career is over. It's okay that I can still swim and bike, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep running. He keeps telling me, yes, you can. The doctor told me, yes, you can. So I think having other people in your life to tell you, yes, you can, can really help when the mental part is what's at work. Mm. When it's a physical thing, you have to accept some limitations, I think, and just move on to whatever you can do. But I also think that sometimes those setbacks set us up for some really rewarding rebound good things. When you haven't been able to run for two months, and I've looked back at my Garmin readouts over a year and realized that there were whole months two, three, four months when I couldn't run at all. And then all of a sudden I see, oh, I'm back to running. And those first few runs after you haven't been able to run, it's like, oh my God, I just ran three miles. That was so awesome. You know, it feels so good to get back to it. So there's that. And if we didn't ever have those setbacks, we also would never have those moments of appreciation for true health and, and an injury-free situation. One thing that I've kind of taken from... Um, the articles that you've you've written for us is that you seem very introspective and and thoughtful, asking that question: Why do we do the things we do, and what is it for? Where do you think that comes from? Have you always been kind of very introspective? I think I probably have, and I th I don't know if this is really an answer to your question, but I think. That issue goes back to where we started this conversation with the whole social media thing because I think it can be really easy to, for us to allow other people to just not to decide for us but to make us feel like we should do something whether it's you know run a marathon or um, I'll have people say to me wow you swim and you bike and you run oh you must be a triathlete. Well, no, because I don't like to swim in open water and I don't like to ride my bike on the road. So no, but it's easy for, you, for us to feel pressured when other people think that we should do those things. And that article that I wrote about, you need to know what your why is, it has to be for all the right reasons that you decide to do something. It can't just be because everyone else in the running club that you belong to is training for a marathon on your group runs and all of a sudden you're feeling like, oh, maybe I should do that too. If it's what you want to do, that's fine. But it has to be your why, not somebody else's. So speaking, you know, you mentioned marathon. Um, you kind of got swept up in that that marathon frenzy as well, kind of recently. And I was one of the pushers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you decided to sign up for, you know, your first marathon. I don't know, was it a year ago or so? Or? Yes. Can you... Talk a little bit about, you know, why you decided after decades of running and exercise, why, you know, you said this is the year that I'm going to, I would like to run the marathon. Then fast forward as you had a few minor injuries that kept you from being able to, to prepare properly for it. How did you kind of deal with that? Having to, to kind of give up, at least for now, on on running that marathon. I think it's pretty much gone for good. Um, 
I think that I still let myself get caught up in some of the, the peer pressure that was surrounding me. I convinced myself that my why was that I didn't want to have any regrets about it. I didn't want to turn 70 or 75 and say, why didn't you do this back when you could have? Yes. Well, it turns out that I really couldn't have because every time I tried to ramp up my training, I got injured again. Uh-huh. And I, oddly enough, which this may surprise a lot of people, I actually felt some relief because it was almost like the pressure was off. 2019 was an expensive year for me in terms of things that I signed up for and didn't get to do. <laughs> but I view them as part of my education. I signed up for two marathons that I didn't do, one in the spring and one just recently, the Philly Marathon, because by the time I recovered enough to start training for the second one, I ended up with another injury. I also signed up for a triathlon that involved a pool swim and a closed road so that that met my criteria, and I I wasn't running at the time. So basically, I probably spent about $500 on race entries that I wasn't able to do, but I view them as tuition in the school of life because Uh I realized that those really weren't things that I was dying to do. I think they were things that I thought I should do. And when I hear people and runners say this all the time, oh, I have 15 miles on my schedule for tomorrow morning, that does not click for me, (laughs) ever. First of all, I have no schedule. I got up this morning, and until 7.30, I wasn't sure whether I was going to go to the Y and swim or go downstairs and ride my bike on a trainer. And I'm, as, as much as I'm disciplined and organized, I'm very capricious when it comes to my workouts. I don't know on, on Sunday what my workouts are going to be for the week. The only thing I can tell you is that I don't run more than three days in a row. I rarely swim more than two days in a row. I don't like to be outside when it's cold. And all those factors go into me deciding on any given day, am I going to go for a bike ride outside? Am I going to ride the bike in the basement? Am I going to go swimming? Am I going to run? And I like it that way. I don't want to be, I don't want my workout routine to be dictated by a training plan or a schedule because I'm not training for anything but life. I guess, how did you do that without a plan when you started kind of, were you just ramping up your distances that you were running? When you started the marathon training? Well, actually, what happened was that um, I, I scrapped the idea of the first marathon, which would have been in March, because I realized not only was I injured at the end of 2018, but I also realized that my hatred of being outdoors in the winter was really going to make it difficult yeah. to train for a spring marathon. But at the same time, I had been invited. I got a seated entry to the Cherry Blossom 10-miler in D.C. Because, based on my performance from the previous year. So I didn't have to enter the lottery. So I was pretty excited about that. It's very flattering to get a seated entry. Still yeah. had to pay an entry fee, but I, <laughs> you know, I got stroked by them telling me how awesome I was. Um, and on an eight-mile training run a week before that race, I felt something in my right foot that wasn't right. And so I called Dr. Larned and went in to see him, and he di- diagnosed me with a metatarsal injury. And he said, oh. you can't run 10 miles next week. Oh, wow. So if I couldn't run a 10-miler, that was already telling me that I was going to have a problem adding on more mileage. And as I recovered from that injury, I ended up with a second injury, a foot injury. And 
I never really tried again to, to do that long distance training, but he, he and I basically came up with a plan where he said to me, what do you really want? And I said, I want to be able to run three to four miles, three to four days a week, and I will be happy with that. And he said, I think we can get you there. And I'm happy with that. And, and again, it was, it was probably a, a little mixed potion of disappointment and relief because if your foot doctor tells you you really shouldn't be running those long distances, it takes the pressure off. I no longer had to feel like I was letting myself down or I was a failure because basically I think he would have told me, you're crazy to do this. Uh-huh. If, if you want to keep running, this is, this is the way to that. This is that path to being able to keep running. I probably could do a marathon if I allowed myself to walk most of it. I I probably could do one tomorrow if I didn't care how fast I did it and if I wasn't worried about my feet hurting a little bit when I'm done. But the competitive part of me doesn't want – I would not be happy with a five-hour marathon. And it's (laughs) fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it doesn't work for me. Gotcha. I'm too used to placing in my age group and to running competitive times that – I don't want that. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it my way, and I want to do it so that I can feel successful about it. That's a good point. I think a lot of times we are told with hard work and discipline, you you know, you can accomplish anything. But really, you know, at least your story is telling me is that it's important to understand what's right for you. And whatever it is, you know, like you said at the time, that it is enough as long as you are doing something that you're happy with. Right. Well, and I choose to focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. Not, not that it doesn't ever sit in the back of my head, but I think it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to live with if you can focus on, like I said before, when you can't run at all for a month or two or three, all of a sudden being able to run three or four miles, three or four days a week is pretty awesome. And so I would rather think about that than to think about, oh, well, I guess I'll never run another half marathon. I've run three half marathons, and I wouldn't mind doing another one, but if it means that I'm going to be injured and then have to take off six months from running at all, that's too high a price for me to pay. And to go back to the start of your question where you said, you know, we like to believe that we can do anything if we work hard enough, that's a nice sentiment, but we all have limitations. We all do. We have limitations in terms of time and money and our inborn abilities and what our bodies are capable of at any given time. Maybe what I could have done at 47, I can't do at 67. And so I think some of the things that people face as they're injured are also things that we face as we get older. You know, when you're when you're injured or sick or you have, you know, a catastrophic accident, all of a sudden you have limitations that you have to work into your life and figure out how you're going to cope with them. Well, the same is true as get, of getting older. We can't expect to do exactly the same amount of work or the do it in the same amount of time at 70 or 80 as we did at 60. So you kind of have to back off a little bit on your expectations of yourself, but be happy with where you are at that time and happy that you can still do it. I think that's something sometimes we lose touch on is everything we do kind of ultimately should be for our happiness and kind of with that as the number one goal not because that's what we're supposed to or that's not because where other people are doing it or and sometimes we think 
that's what will make us happy is what what we see other people you know accomplishing whether it's a marathon ultra marathon or iron man or it's something that is to ask ourselves is this making us happy yeah and at any given moment it doesn't mean that like when i'm swimming laps in the pool sometimes it's not all that fun but I'm, I am happy that I swim laps. You know, when I'm done, I have a really good feeling about it. And I don't get up in the morning and think, what are you thinking doing this? I think if I got up in the morning and saw a rigid schedule of I have to run 15 miles today because there's a marathon in five weeks, that's not for me. And again, to go back to the whole marathon thing, I found myself, and Kathy will totally relate to this, the minute I thought about doing a marathon, what do you think the very next thing I did was? I went and looked at the Boston qualifying times. Do I, did I really? Yeah. Would I? I don't even like to travel. I hate travel. Why was I doing that? But I, I think I wanted to know that even if I never went to Boston, that I could. So mm-hmm. I, I knew that if I ran a marathon, I wanted to be able to run a Boston qualifying time. And so that was already at odds with the idea of just doing a marathon to do one. All of a sudden, I'm up in the ante in a way that's really not very healthy. But that's me, and I, I know how I would feel if I set that as a goal and missed it. So even though at one point I thought my, my why was the right one, that I, I didn't want to have regrets about it, I think the way I found my way through that path is that I ended up without having regrets because I was able to chalk it up to the limitations of injuries and just realizing that it really wasn't for me. And now I feel good about it. I'm, I, I have no regrets at all. Um, you know, I, I think I can, I can be just fine knowing that I ran a few half marathons in respectable times and that's good enough. But I I also think it's, it's a matter of not just being wise as you are, because you, you truly are. I mean, I, I've, I've learned so much already about, um, you know, my own past of, you know, when I went through or overcoming my own challenges, but I think for you, as I'm, as I'm hearing you, I think it's, it's, you have such a respect for the sport too. You know, I, I understand, you know, you, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I know you could do a marathon probably the next day, but do you want to do it in five hours? No, but can you? Of course. But I think it's, it's ultimately, it, it speaks to the respect that you have for the sport and the respect for you ha- that you have for your own regiment, um, and I and you know, as disappointed as I was that you didn't join us um, for the Philly Marathon, um, I think in the back of my head I truly did think it was the the best decision that you made because you know just when you said you know you were looking at your your Garmin data readout you know there were several months when you didn't run. And then when you did, there was that such elation, even if it was just two or three miles. And, and I can definitely hold to that because when I had two broken ribs over the summer and, you know, as you know, I, I run much longer uh, than two or three miles. But even when I was able to run that two miles without the aid of a what I think I called it the rib brace. It felt so good, and I and I did. I had to say to myself, "I am, I'm so happy that I can do this now." And I hope our listeners could take that, because when I was overcoming my challenges, and I know a lot of people, they forget that they can still do it. 
you can still do something right. instead of, oh gosh, I, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that marathon last year, or I wish I could have done that race. Well, but look at how far you've gone and look at what you can still do instead of focusing on what you cannot do. Right. And that, and still t- till this day, even though I don't have any, um, impairment, um, you know, that's, I really do have to go back again, you know, when I have a bad run or when I don't feel like working out, I I always have to ask myself, Hey, at least, at least I can still do that. And that's what I love about you, Diane, is that, you know, yes, the 30 years working out every day. Oh my God. I'm thinking about it. I'm tired. Um, but (laughs) that is just, uh, you know that that's just really commendable, and and I'm I'm actually quite jealous because as you know, I I have a very regimented schedule. You know, I swim this day, I bike this day, I run this day. I have you know I have to get in so much miles, and to to be honest with you, listening to you for the last half hour, I I I'm just so jealous. I'm like I wish I could just wake up and just do whatever I want. I mean I could, but you know, and that's that's what I. That's what I hope our listeners can can take away from this is, you know, you can still do it, whatever it is. Just know that you can still do it. And, but I love I love your style, Diane, the fact that, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to do this today or I'm not going to do that today. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, because it's that's an interesting kind of perspective, too, because, you know, you are you are competitive but your but your training is sort of relaxed. I guess it's <laughs> it's sort of a a good dichotomy. But you know you're not just quote unquote exercising a little bit every day. I mean you you are competitive, and when you hit the starting line at local races, you you're there to to win. When your age group, and you are, I think still are right the Delaware State record holder for five miles at at a. One of the age groups, I won't say what age group, but <laughs> one of the age groups as the five-mile record holder for road races for the state of Delaware. So, you, you know, you, you are competitive, but you're able to kind of do it your own way and not sort of by the book. Yeah, and I think that's the message that, that everybody needs to hear. Um, I am competitive, and I think one of the things that's kept me that way is the consistency of my working out because my workouts are short. But they're relatively intense. I'm not talking about taking a stroll or a, you know, a slow bike ride every day. When I'm in it, I'm in it. And that's how I feel about running. To go back to what Kathy said a minute ago about respect for the sport, the sport of running has changed tremendously in the almost 20 years since I started to run. I started to run probably 18 years ago. And it's become much more... um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Maybe much more democratic. There's there's a lot more people participating. Um, the numbers of people have gone way up at the same time that the average finishing times for most distances have gone down. The fastest people are still the fastest people, and they're still at the same speed they were. But the average numbers are being brought down because so many more people are participating and not viewing it in a competitive way. And that's fine for them. I recently saw a comment on... A Facebook group where somebody said, oh, are you running the such and such race this weekend? And the other person's answer was, yeah, I haven't trained for it, but I don't care. I'm coming for the after party. (laughs) That will never, ever be me. 
<laughs> and it's fine if it's for them. And, and I know that's what has brought a lot of people into the running community is the fact that when I started to run, most races ended with a bagel and a banana and some water. There was no beer. There was no White Claw. There was no, you know. No, it's a party. Bars. Yeah. It's now a party. Yeah. And if that has brought more people into the sport and gotten people moving off their couches, I'm all for it. But it will never be me. I won't enter a race that I don't think I can be competitive in my age group. And one of the things that's really kept me going in terms of my performance is there's a phenomenon in running called age grading. It's a little bit like a golf handicap. And mm. what, it, what it is is an algorithm that allows people of either gender and of any age to compare their times to the times of people of the other gender and other ages. And it lets you compare. I could compare myself to, say, you, Rob. You're in a different age group, and you're a man and I'm a woman. But more importantly, while we're talking about comparisons, it lets me compare myself today as a 67-year-old to myself as a 50-year-old. And those numbers have not changed for me. My age grade scores are roughly in the low 80s, which makes me considered a nationally competitive runner. So I know that I'm still doing as well as I was. The numbers... The numbers on the clock are higher, but my performances are still competitive for my age group. And I haven't, you know, fallen off that. And that's important to me. That's a great point. And and can I chime in really quick? So we had this reindeer run about two weeks ago. It's it's probably one of the the best 5Ks uh, that I, I prefer to do. I, I hate 5Ks, as you know, Diane. I think it's it's just so brutal, and it's 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 a short distance. But yes, you know, competitive as we are together, um, I don't I don't go out and run a 5K for run for fun. I, I don't know what the heck fun is. And I have to tell you, oh my God! So I, you know, of course I'm totally BSing. I said, yeah, I'm just gonna go out it's really slow and try to negative split. But man, when I saw Diane running up next to me, I was like, oh, crap. She's like right next to me. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, listener. She is very fast. And, uh, you know, so I was thinking to myself, okay, if she passed you, just make sure you remind her. All right, Diane, if you pass me, make sure you don't let me catch you. But a part of me was like, you cannot let her catch you, you know, because you're, what, two age group under her, and you can't let her beat you. But I'm telling you, Diane, Diane is quick, but she's so she's so humble and gracious when, when she does um, kick your your tush out there. So I just wanted to chime in that I was, <laughs> I was literally scared about um, getting passed by Diane <laughs> at the reindeer run. So thanks for that boost. Well, don't worry. It didn't last long because then you took over. But I was, I was very happy with my finish that night, and that's, that's all that matters. But again, I, I can't race if I don't feel like I'm going to be competitive. But that's not to say that that's for everybody. I think it's wonderful to see so many more people participating. It's just that I'll never do it for the party. I'm doing it for the medal. So recently, and I don't know exactly when you started. I know it's been at least a few years. You've kind of started coaching. You're, a, uh, I think, a certified um, running coach as well as a fitness coach for University of Delaware. I guess what what got you into coaching or what, 
What was your motivation? Well, I took my first coaching certification, which was the level one class, um, at the end of 2016 when I knew I was going to retire in 2017. And I had spent my whole life at a desk job working as a writer in public relations at the University of Delaware. And I just knew that I wanted to do something more active. And I got intrigued by Roadrunners Club of America class, which was a weekend um, program that I know Kathy has done as well. And I just, I just thought, well, this could be fun. And it turns out that I've coached a couple of individuals, one 13-year-old one and another adult. But I found my niche coaching a Couch to 5K class, um, two sessions a year at the university for um, faculty and staff. So we run a nine-week program with a goal race, a, a race that happens to be connected to the university. There's a homecoming race in the fall and an alumni race in the spring. So we run the nine-week sessions as a run-up to those races, and those races are the graduation for the people who participate. And I absolutely love coaching beginners. Um, it's, it's a good fit for me. I, I don't know that I would feel super qualified to coach people who are training for a marathon, I do have the knowledge, but there's a part of me that feels like if you haven't done it yourself, how are you going to tell somebody else how to do it? You know, and, and maybe that's not true, but I just feel that. You know, the first thing somebody, I would ask somebody if they asked me to coach them to a marathon, well, how many marathons have you run? Yeah. None. Makes and sense. that's not the right <laughs> answer. But as far as beginners go, I absolutely love coaching people who literally are getting off the couch and they have so many questions and... I've kind of developed my own approach to coaching this because the Couch to 5K program is an app that anybody can download and do on their own. Ah. So I had to figure out what can I add to this so that people will feel like it's worth it to sign up for it at, at UD rather than just plugging the app in on their phone and plugging away on their own. So I send them out an email every week with information about something running related. It could be safety. It could be what to wear because a lot of people have never done this before. I had a woman show up wearing khakis and a belt and a polo <laughs> shirt. She didn't know what to wear. Yeah. So I tell them how to dress for the weather. I tell them where they can get their gear. I tell them how to be safe in the dark. Um, this spring we're actually going to add a... Um, a safety workshop put on by the university police because there have been, you know, so many people have been assaulted while they're out running. So I try to think of ways to add value to them so that they feel like they're getting more than just, you know, pushing a button on an app. And I absolutely love it. So what do you think you've, you've personally gotten out of coaching? Knowing that I've introduced a sport that I love to other people and I've gotten so many emails back from a lot of them and most, the, the most, the most common message I get from people week to week is, thank you so much. Your emails are so encouraging. And that's really what I want to be to people. Um, it's not so much the knowledge that I got in the coaching classes. That's all there. But it's, it's encouraging them to believe that they can do it and helping them create a path to that, like figuring out how they can fit it into their lives, figuring out what they need to wear to be comfortable out in the snow or letting getting them to believe that they can run a 5k convincing them that it's okay if they have to walk part of it and they haven't failed and when they thank me for my encouragement i know that i've done my job that's awesome i think we get so focused on our own sort of goals and what we want to accomplish whether it's running or or other avenues in life that we don't realize until we do it or experience it that you know some of the 
our biggest successes are really helping people achieve success. Yep. And you know who I take as my greatest inspiration for that is Coach Jim Fisher, who everybody who runs in Delaware knows who Coach Fisher is. He's He coached at UD for decades until they discontinued their programs. But without any kind of pay or anything but the love of the sport, Jim has coached community runners for those same decades that he coached professionally at UD. And Jim himself stopped running several years ago because of injuries, and he's often out on the trail on his bike. And that was something I had to do. My very first session of coaching Couch to 5K, I was supposed to be in a boot. So I led them out on my bike. And a few times since then, I've had to do two or three sessions on the bike if I've had a little bit of an injury. But it lets them see that you can still keep going even when there's a little bit of a barrier there. That's awesome. I think just getting yourself out there and having yet another reason to be out there. Exactly. Because I'm out there for them. Yeah, exactly. Riding the bike at like five miles an hour is not a workout for me, but it's awesome to see them out there doing it. Yeah, and sometimes that's what brings you kind of an even greater joy right, is being out there for, for other people. It is. And when, when my students finished at the race in, in um, the fall, the homecoming race, one of the women broke 30 minutes for her first 5K, which I thought was, wow, yeah. you know, that was pretty awesome. And it was, it initially when I first started to do this, I thought that I would run with my students. And as it turned out, I, the first, the first go round, I had a race the day before and I, I opted to drop out of mm-hmm. the race that my students were doing. And as it turned out, one of my students placed third in my age group. And if uh-huh. I had run, she wouldn't have gotten that medal. Oh, and at, wow. at that point, I said, you are not running against your students. You're standing at the finish line waiting for them. Wow. And that was the right point. choice. Yeah. Granted, I could have still been fi- standing waiting for them if I finished before them. But it was just the idea of just being there for them and not focused on my performance, but focused on theirs. Yeah. Because that that's so really awesome. what coaching is about. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to, to that, too, because I, per Diane you know, uh, encouragement as well. I, I, I went out and did the, uh, I got my certification and have done several couch to 5k and it, it, it's so true. You know, at first I think initially they sort of want you to sign up for the race so that, that you can run it with them. But for me, I was like, no, you, you're going, this is your race. You, you run your race. But I have to say the first time that, um, I, I did the, uh, couch to 5k and just being at the end of the finish line and watching their face and encouraging, it's just, yeah, I think it was the most selfless thing you can do. And and, and just to see them accomplish something that you truly love to do, I, I thought it was the most incredible feeling. I was actually on a runner's high, even though I wasn't even running, but I can totally relate. And, and I think it should be done that way. You know, when you, when you coach, um, you know, it's, it's nice to, to see them do it. And, you know, of course, a lot of times, you know, they still ask me like, but can you run with me? So that I, I'm like, no, I I would love to, but you, you can do this. And I, I just, Again, I just love watching them just cross that finish line and then they get so happy and emotional and they get that ugly cry. Then you get that ugly cry because you're so proud of, you know, all the work they've put in. Um, but, yeah, I, I have to agree, too, that coaching, you know, beginners are the best because yeah. they just have so much questions and, you know, they just absorb everything. And um, 
you know, they appreciate too. They appreciate the little things that you, you say to the, them, even though it's, you know, you got this or you send them a text and say, you know, great run or you, you can get this workout in tomorrow. You know, it's just, it, doesn't it make you feel so appreciative that they, you know, they're, they're just like, they feel all tingly. That's what yeah. one of my students said. I feel so tingly when you send me a text and tell me I can do this. Because yeah. you can. Right. And that's what they get out of participating in a group rather than just down. So many people, when I start, like, after, at the first session, they'll say, well, I downloaded that app last year. And, you know, I only made it to week three. And then I dropped out. Well, one of the things that I tell them now that I've heard this over and over again, I tell them, there's a lot of big jumps in those weeks from, like, three to four. Don't feel bad if you can't make that jump. You might have to repeat a week. And, you know, just having that knowledge, and I think you start to realize, which is, a, which is kind of a good pat on your own back, you think, wow, I really do know more about this than I realize. Because when I hear their questions, I realize how much the average person doesn't know about it. So it's all new to them. And it's really exciting to be able to share your knowledge with somebody who wants it. And, and you know, they've come to you because they want it. It's not like you're teaching freshman English and the students are there because they have to be. <laughs> These people are there because they want to be. I think what I've learned, you know, I've learned so much um, from this conversation. And one of them is, is, one is really that you can take value from your tribe. And I think defining what that tribe is, is probably very important because we can, that can go askew very easily with social media and and the internet um, and kind of the wide ranging kind of connection we have. So I think understanding where are we where is our tribe and what is it that we have in common and and what goals we're trying to achieve kind of put that into perspective. And that's something really I learned from you here in our conversation and really why we're doing things and what what makes us happy i think the the biggest thing with regard to the tribe is that you have to walk that fine line where you take value from the tribe and you take inspiration from the tribe but you don't allow yourself to compare yourself to other people so let the tribe inspire you you know get information from other people get support from other people let other people help you through the trials of an injury. Be inspired by other people, but don't compare yourself to other people. And I think also a big part of being part of a tribe is being able to provide value for, for others. I think right. that's that definitely is something that we need impersonally. Not, you know, it's not really even a selfless kind of act. It's, you know, part of in some ways it's a selfish act providing that value and being able to help others. Well, it yeah. is because it, 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 it makes you feel good about yourself when you do it. Yeah. And that shouldn't and be it's your very main... Important. It's very important. It, it is. Yeah. But the, it, 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 you're, it's kind of a win-win because you're helping other people and at the same time you're saying to yourself, wow, I actually added value for that person. Yeah. And, and, you know, the incur one of the most amazing things about social media, that fat to finish line group that I follow, there's one woman who had weight loss surgery at the beginning of 2019, and she has lost 180 pounds. 180 wow. pounds. She's is... lost more than, she's lost one and a half times me. Wow. And I absolutely love her posts. She's so positive, and she gets so much encouragement when she puts up her, every month she puts up her before and after pictures, front, side, back, and her comparison pictures, and they're amazing to see. And I always comment 
and she always seems so happy that other people comment and that's where the real beauty of social media comes in she has this whole group of people that have never met her that are encouraging her to continue her path and as long as she's not using their accomplishments as a as a point of comparison she's deriving all that benefit from that tribe that's out there and not only that i think she's providing i'm sure a lot of inspiration to To others others as well absolutely that's awesome so i know we could talk for (laughs) for hours and we definitely you know i'd love to do this you know again and um maybe touch on other other subjects as well and i do have some rapid fire questions that i like to ask our guests so the first one is would you say you're running from something or towards something there was a time in my life when i was absolutely running from something but now it's toward it's just toward the rest of my life being a healthy active person um when is i think you already mentioned this but when is your favorite time to run and why 7 a.m. <laughs> I, I guess it's, I, at least it's not four in the morning. No, yesterday. well, and I mean, when my kids were little, it was probably closer to 5 a.m. because I, I had to do it before they got up. But now it's, it's you know, depending on the time of year and how light or dark it is and how hot or cold it is, um, I like to be out there. I, I don't like to eat first, so it's important for me to get started before I start getting hungry. Early in the morning works great for me. I finish feeling amazing and then I'll often do something else later in the day maybe a casual bike ride with a friend or a walk around campus but I've gotten that real workout in first thing so when life kind of gets overwhelming what do you like to do to either clear your head or kind of reset um well my life right now because I'm retired is really pretty (laughs) pretty much not (laughs) overwhelming um but I've always enjoyed walking as um kind of a mindless and I think it can be Sometimes walking with a friend and and just talking about things. I had a friend, when I was going through my divorce, I had a friend and we would do seven mile walks on Saturday mornings. We were both really fast walkers and really fast talkers. And I think we, (laughs) it was like therapy for us. So I enjoy that or, you know, taking just a casual bike ride. But it's it's usually something physical for me. Um, And it doesn't have to be a location, but where would you say is your happy place? Hmm, It's an interesting question. I mean, I guess I have a lot of them. Certainly my, my happy places include things like like pools and running paths and, and biking paths. But, you know, an, another happy place is when I'm in Baltimore with my, my, my grown kids and my daughter-in-law and my two little granddaughters. And probably my, my most comfortable happy place is, is home with, with my husband and my cat and dog. Awesome. Um, so what would be your number one advice to someone who's currently facing kind of a, a setback or a big, you know, life challenge and maybe a setback, whether big or small, like what would you, what would your advice be to them? I guess I would say focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Don't assume that where you are, be where you are today, but don't assume that it's forever. I mean, I've had my, I can't even tell you how many times I've said, oh, I'll never run again. And Doug rolls his eyes and says, yes, you will. But it's easy to think that when you're in the moment. I'll I'll never be able to do this again. This this injury has sidelined me forever. But try to be in the moment, figure out what you can do, not what you can't do, and just take the progression from there one day at a time. And hopefully you'll be able to look back and say, wow, you know, it, it wasn't over. I was able to progress. And this feels pretty cool to be able to do today what I couldn't do a month ago or 
six months ago. Awesome. What would you say your life philosophy is, if you have one? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, the, my mantra for this year has been people are complicated. And I'm not sure how that fits into this, but I guess what I mean by that is it's all too easy to make, to draw conclusions about other people and what their lives are like. And to like, for example, if people don't know Kathy's background, they just see this high energy, athletic, friendly, outgoing person. And they might make a judgment about her and have no idea what she went through five years ago. And that's just one example. And I think it's all too easy when we see other people's lives, um, you know, spread out for us on social media or even just people that we see in person but we don't know them deeply. It's easy to assume that we know them and we really don't. So I think giving people the benefit of the doubt and at the same time being yourself and not trying to be somebody that you're not. Yeah. Do you and let them yeah. do them and don't judge them for it. Yeah, I love that. Well, Diane, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, I certainly have learned a lot, and I think our listeners can really get a lot of value from this conversation. Um, do you have any last kind of words for for our listeners? Um, no, but I mean, thanks for having me. I think what you guys are doing with this website and with the articles and now adding value through podcasts is amazing. And again, the power of the internet and social media to reach out to people in a positive way is is awesome. And I think what you're doing is is really good. And if I can play some small part in having an impact that way, I'm really happy to do it. Thank you. And to all the listeners, we will have uh, Diane's social media info, whatever she'd like to share. Uh, we'll have that on our show notes. And thank you. Till next time, keep on going and... Do you. <laughs> yeah, right? do you. And we will catch you on the next podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. You can find show notes and other episodes, as well as articles from many of our contributors on werunwithyou.org. You can also connect with us on social media at We Run With You on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to connect with Diane, she is at CoachD10K on Instagram. Until next time, keep doing good.